I think a lot of people, they look at these jobs and think they're so glamorous and, you know, they see the blue checks on Instagram and the followers and they're like, I want to be that. And if you come in this industry for that reason, you're going to get burnt out very quickly if it's not something that you're passionate about. What made me stand out and set apart when you're looking at resumes is being able to see like, okay, like this girl could be a one woman band if we needed her to be. And so this is why this could be our best candidate. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. Pardon my voice a little bit. I am a little bit under the weather, but we've got a good story to tell. So let's get into it and let's power through because that's what we do when we work in sports. There's no time for being sick. So let's kick this off. In the year 2000, I was working in the sports department at CNN Sports Illustrated as a producer. I know this sounds weird to all of you, but the internet was still a relatively new phenomenon. We were all still discovering how best to gather information using this new tool, figuring out who is trusted, who updates their content the most, things of that nature. I remember vividly, there was a site called sportspages.com that a few of us stumbled onto and were using like it was the most amazing tool ever because all it did was aggregate every sports page from across the country. And you could go and see, oh, what's happening in New Orleans or what's happening in New York or what's happening with the Chicago Bears. You could just find that information really quickly, which was a new way of doing things. We also had bookmarks on all of our computers to all the pro team sites. So you'd spend hours setting up your NFL links, your MLB links, all of those, etc. And as a Boston guy, I top-loaded my dashboard with the Red Sox, the Bruins, the Celtics, and the Patriots. And I'd so excitedly start my shift by going onto those pages, looking a little bit, seeing if any new things had happened. Because smartphones weren't as much of a thing back then. They weren't really a thing at all. So you had to be at work, on your computer, doing it. This is so crazy for me to be admitting this. I mean, this was... 22 years ago, which isn't that long, but geez, how much the world has changed. Anyway, there's a point to all this story, so I'm going to continue going. Remember vividly on the Patriots homepage, on the left side navigation, there was an audio player, and it would always say something, it would say something, present something called PFW in progress and have a play button. I remember thinking for the longest time, like, I don't know what that is. I don't know know what that does, but I hit it one day, and it was like a live Patriots-focused radio show that I could listen to right there on my computer. In a new world of many firsts, you know, that was a first for me. That was internet radio? Like, this is crazy. I can only usually listen to the radio in my car. Lo and behold, this show, based around my favorite team, was the first internet radio show and is now the longest-running podcast of all time in any genre. That's crazy. I've personally been listening since the early 2000s, which is not depressing at all. The show is operated by the team, which you would assume makes it a watered-down, overly positive show. But that assumption would be wrong. They aren't just a PR arm of the organization, truly are critical, objective, and at times supportive. A few years back, they changed their name to Patriots Unfiltered, but there are still some of the OGs from 2000 leading this conversation. At the same time, there has been an influx of new talent on this show, one of which is today's guest, Tamara Brown. The first episode of our month of December best of 2022 programming. Every December we do it, we bring back our best of episodes, and Tamara Brown is our first. Tamara is really an inspiration. She's currently a team reporter and producer for the Patriots, which means outside of the podcast content that she contributes to, she also creates a ton of Patriots-related content 
from sideline reporting to getting on, doing feature stories to interviewing different players, going to press conferences, et cetera, writing content and more. But what is truly inspiring is how hard she has worked to get to where she is. She knew she wanted to be on camera and she went after it hard. She's done on-air work for more than 15 different media outlets to build her brand and embrace the hustle. And her story is a great one. So here she is, New England Patriots team reporter and producer, Tamara Brown. Hey, Tamara, how are you today? Thanks so much for joining me. I'm doing great, Brian. I'm glad to be here. So there's so many parts of your career I'm excited to talk about and so many levels I'm excited to dig into and learn more about your experience. But let's start at the beginning a little bit. What made you decide working in sports is what I want to do? And then even one step further, why being a reporter, being a producer, being a storyteller? What led you this direction? 11 years ago, um, one of my teammates, I'm a former cheerleader, sideline and competitive. Um, On the sidelines, she was like, you're never actually paying attention to anything that we're doing on the sideline. You are just always watching the game. I'm yeah. like, yeah, cheerleading is like the best seat in the house. You front row seats to everything. Um, she was like, you should pursue that in college. And at the time, I really wanted to be a lawyer because I'm obsessed with law and order SVU. And I'm still obsessed with that show. Yeah. Um, but I was like, you know what? that sounds like an awesome opportunity. And honestly, that is why I ended up pursuing journalism at Virginia Tech and sports journalism more specifically, because after going through internships at local TV stations, I was like, news is not for me. And so I'm really yeah. thankful that I did a bunch of internships in college because then I was able to see what I liked and didn't like um, before I graduated, which really helped in the long term. Oh my gosh, it's so important. And that's why I tell people a lot of times is, so people reach out and we'll talk and they'll say, I did this internship and I hated it, and I'm panicking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you'd rather know that now, right? Wouldn't you rather do an internship, learn what you don't like, and then pivot mm-hmm. versus graduate, go into the field, and then then learn that? That's probably it was a big assist to you to learn that early on. Exactly. Um, you know, school is awesome, and I de- definitely learned a lot in the classroom, but it was really out in the field that I really learned what I liked and didn't like. And don't get me wrong, like, working in local news is for some people, it's just not for everyone. Yeah. Um, and thanks, I'm so thankful that there are multiple routes in journalism that you can take. So um, definitely take all the internships that you can in different yeah. spaces and different fields, even in things that you might not be interested in, um, because the more you know is better, honestly. So let's keep digging into that because I've looked at thousands of LinkedIn pages and I've looked at lots of resumes over the years. And I have to say, Your background and experience and what you did so aggressively to gain experience is as impressive as it comes. I mean, you graduated from Virginia Tech in 2015, 2016, right around then? Yeah. And you have a lot of lined up experience. You were aggressive doing internships to gain that experience to stand out in the industry. But what was your kind of strategy and approach as you identified that you wanted to work in this field and then just went after it aggressively? I think one of the first things that I learned early on is that your yes count should be greater than your no count, meaning that, Ooh, like that. you should at all times be saying yes. If someone asks you to do, run stats at a game, yes. If someone asks you to do a shot chart at a game, you should say yes. If someone asks you to coil cables at a game, you should say yes. Even if in the long term you don't want to do those things, you don't want to be a utility worker at a game, that's fine. But the more people that you know in this industry, the better. Because at the end of the day, my resume does look great. But it's not 
what I know. It's who I know. I've met so many valuable people at every single stop that I've made that I still talk to now. And they reach out if they know of opportunities or maybe they have an opportunity in-house that they know I'd be great for. So we hear this all the time. It's probably a broken record, but it's not what you know. It's who you know. And I definitely wanted to make sure that, one, um, I didn't turn down a job based off location. I know we all want to live in the Miamis, the Atlantas, the DCs, LAs, New Yorks of the world, but yep. sometimes you can't. Sometimes the best opportunities are in the middle of nowhere, like working at Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I wanted to be flexible in the roles that I was taking and the locations because I knew that that was going to help me in the long run, and it truly has. I've got my own in front of the camera experience, and I also got my behind the scenes experience, social experience, marketing experience, sponsorship experience. I've got it all. So now I understand how every single aspect of the sports industry works almost. Um, and it's truly helped me, especially in a time like right now with COVID-19, a lot of people making cutbacks because one, we couldn't have that many people at a game anymore. And two, um, just money is really different right now in our industry, yeah. especially with a lot of games not having fans. So when they look at you and you're like, Hmm. she brings 10 things to the table. It's like, okay, we can retain her where unfortunately you can't keep certain roles anymore because you just can't afford it. So um, it all works out in the end in the sense of I can do so many things, whether it's being on camera, editing, producing, um, videography, photography, writing, even Um, it's just been so beneficial to me in the long run, just to have taken those um, extra steps to work on things that I really wasn't super passionate about, but I knew I would need anyway. Yeah, it's so important to realize that internships are experience, they're networking, they're building your versatility, they're forming your point of view, they're helping you decide what you like and where you want to dig deeper. There's so much value that comes out of that. So you can see how it impacted your career. Let's go one layer deeper there. You had internships at small organizations like WAVY in Portsmouth, Virginia, but then you also interned at places like the Washington Redskins. How are those experiences different? Because those are two very different operations. Did they give you a different perspective on how the industry works? Oh, for sure. Like a local TV stations, I got to do so much. Like if you I do everything, to do, yeah, yeah, you got to do everything. And I tell people all that, that all the time when they ask for advice, I'm like, you're literally in a news station every single day. You either should come in early or stay late and get some extra things done on air. So you can come and already have a script prepared. Like say if, you know, Bob did highlights at 5 p.m. And once that show was done, say if you already had your script written, you could be like, hey, can I try highlights myself during the break? And they're like, yeah, sure. Why not? We're not doing anything. And so I think it's taking those extra steps and taking advantage of those opportunities while you're in the building is amazing versus getting back to your college campus. And you're like, I don't have a reel. I don't have any clips. I don't have anywhere to shoot anything for my reel. What do I do? I've run into a lot of people like that who are like, I don't have a portfolio. I don't have a reel, but this is what I want to do. And so it's definitely taking advantage of those opportunities when you are at the local organizations, companies, TV stations to get as much as you can out of it versus the Redskins. It's more of of what what you fear in an internship in terms of um, transcribing. You might be holding waters outside at practice for the players. Um, Looks good on a resume, but doesn't you didn't do as much. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's more of the heart, like the um, sweat and tears part of it. Yeah. Um, versus versus really getting some experience, but it's still worth it because it was a lot of networking that happened, um, being a part of a lot of really cool experiences like training camp too. So um, it has its ups and downs, but it's not as glamorous as getting cool things for your real local television. I 
Totally get that. I think that's an interesting balance, though. It's one of the things we talk about a lot is when you're doing internships to get that balance of big professional team where you can network and you can kind of observe how the best practices work. And it's something that stands out on your resume, but you might not do as much. And then that local, yeah. you're you're doing everything. You're really getting exposed to a lot. So that makes a lot of sense. Sports reporter jobs, as you well know, are highly competitive. And like we talked about, you graduated from Virginia Tech just six years ago. You already have experience with University of Miami, Notre Dame, New York Giants, M- Mountain West Conference, the NHL, and my hometown team, the New England Patriots. Um, <laughs> as you look back, what has been your key to standing out from the competition and earning these, these jobs? Wow. Um, I think a big part of it is that I can bring multiple skills to the table. I know that when I've been interviewing for reporter jobs in the past, they're kind of like, we don't want someone who can just be a talking head and talk in front of the camera. Like we're going to need someone who can produce, who can edit their own stuff, um, who can write potentially, who can shoot, who knows how to run social media, who knows how to produce something that can go on social media. Um, Because there's a big difference between being a sports reporter for a local television show and and being a sports reporter for the New England Patriots, for example. It's just really different. Um, And so, thankfully, I have been in spaces where I've been able to pick up editing skills on Premiere. Like, I remember when I first started using Premiere. Yeah. It might take me hours to edit a one-minute video. (laughs) Now, I can fly through that in like 30 minutes, maybe even 15 sometimes. So, um, it's been extremely valuable in this role right now, especially that I bring so many different skills to the table. And that's truly what's made me stand out and set apart when you're looking at resumes is being able to see like, okay, like this girl could be a one woman band if we needed her to be. And so this is why this can be our best candidate, um, which has been great. And then not being afraid to move. Like whenever when someone's like, you know, um, when I was on the phone with HR actually for this job for the Patriots, she was like, I see you live in Miami now. Are you comfortable moving yeah. to New England? Like, do you know it snows here? And I'm like, yeah, it's no big deal. Like, I've lived in Notre Dame. <laughs> I've, I've lived in the Midwest for two years. Like, yep. I get it. I've got my coat, bean boots, got it all. You are a New Englander now. If you've got bean boots, you're good. You're, you're good oh, to go. Oh, <laughs> yes. Bean boots are a necessity. I, yep. They were probably my everyday shoes when living in South Bend, Indiana. Like, it snowed there so much. Yeah. Um, and so it, that's that what, what I say is within the most valuable thing is just making sure that you take the time to get other skills outside of being able to stand in front of a camera and talk about sports. It's so true. When when I first started out in the broadcast media, I mean, I got my first job in Atlanta, had never been there before working at CNN Sports Illustrated. I got the job offer and they were like, can you be here in two weeks? You just got to be ready to go. Yeah. And I got recruited to be a news director at Fox Sports Northwest in Seattle. Had never been there before. Let's go, you know, like, and then I was in Denver and then it's like, you move around a lot and that's the way it works and you got to be flexible and you got to take on those challenges as they come. So I totally respect that. So with any kind of on-camera work, repetition and practice is key, but you can't replicate that live experience, right? You can't Mm -hmm. just practice in your room and it's the same as being in an arena with screaming fans and chaos all around you. What do you remember about your first time in one of those high pressure situations where you had to perform? And what do you look back at and think about that moment? How do you feel about it? Um, frightening to look at some of my old reels where I'm like, <laughs> I look like a deer in headlights. I look like I memorized everything that I was going to say. Um, it's just, it's interesting to look back and you're like, wow, I've come such a long way. Yeah. But I appreciate those because if you don't do it afraid, if you don't do it at all, then how are you going to ever get better at it? And so that's where um, even now, my first time reporting in 
the Patriots stadium and Gillette stadium, the first time being in TD garden in front of all the Bruins fans, like scary. Yes. Yeah. But I did it. I did it. And now it's amazing. Honestly, I thrive off of adrenaline and adversity. <laughs> so I, I love live everything. I honestly prefer it over taped hits just because it makes me better. Okay. And I have to fight through it no matter what. So even if I, say stumble through the opening I can't stop and start over like I have to keep going like I'm having a conversation with you right now it's like yeah. I have to keep going pretend it's a regular conversation and move on there's no safety net right you gotta keep going yeah yeah versus when you're shaping it you can keep redoing it um and so I prefer live honestly it's more scary I guess so to speak yeah. but I think in the long run it just the thrill of it just gives me so much excitement. So is it is it still exciting to you to be there like on game day and to have that crazy crowd around you and to have this event pressure going on? Is it still something that gets your excitement flowing? Yes, yes. And and honestly, it doesn't even feel like work for me when I go work to sporting events. That's cool. Um, and that's how it should be because I tell people all the time, it's like, you're going to know early on if you're in this for the right reasons. I think a lot of people... They look at these jobs and think they're so glamorous and, you know, they see the blue checks on Instagram and the followers and this and that. And they're like, I want to be that. And if you come in there, if you come in this industry for that reason, you're, you're going to get burnt out very quickly if it's not something yeah. that you're passionate about. And so for me, I'm thankful that I show up to work every day and doesn't even feel like we're at work. I don't dread being at the games. I don't dread 15 hour days. It's truly amazing to have the best seat in the house. Oh, for sure. I still get geeked up sitting in a in a box or sitting on courtside or sitting at a game. And it's still like, I don't know, I've been doing this a long time, but still there's something special about game day and those those events and that pressure and that energy. I love the control room. Like all that stuff just feels so powerful, I don't know, to me. So I love it. As a reporter and storyteller, because I think you do identify yourself as a storyteller, which I think is brilliant. I love that. Mm -hmm. How important has it been for you to find your style and your point of view and your delivery techniques? How, how important has that process been for you? It's huge. Um, I think early on, you know, you come into the industry and you're like, I want to be like Maria Taylor, Aaron Andrews, or Alex Flanagan, or, um, you know, anyone out there. You're like, I want to be her. But at the end of the day, it's, it's your better work is when you're authentic to your true self. And honestly, the more conversational you are, the more natural it feels. And those watching at home, um, you know, they feel like you're human as well. It's like the person you're talking to, the subject, you want to make them feel like a human, but they, you also want you to be like me. I want to be a human too on, on camera when I'm telling a story. Yeah. Um, Cause I feel like when I'm watching things and I can tell that it's really scripted or I can tell um, that the person is just not being themselves. It's kind of hard for me to, to grasp it and really like pay attention. Um, and so for me, I think that was huge early on, just realizing that while I do love what Maria Taylor and Sam Ponders of the world are doing, it's like, I want to be the best version of myself and be true to myself because that's going to help tell a better story. And that's going to help my subject feel more comfortable as well. Um, when they feel like we're just, sitting here having a conversation versus being interviewed. It's so true. I love that you said that too. My friend, Laura Oakman always used to say- I love Laura. I, do you know Laura? Laura is great. Yes. I used to, we worked together for a long time and I produced with her and I used to produce her for a long time. And she used to always say, she's like, my job is to turn an interview into a conversation. Like I have to, it's a conversation and that makes them more comfortable and we get into a groove rather than they feel like it's an interview. And I've always thought that was brilliant advice. And I think that's one of those things that comes through with authenticity when you see it, you know it when you see it. Yeah, I love Laura so much and I'm in Galvanize. And one of the biggest things I've learned from Laura is who versus do and making the subject feel. 
And so going um, but beyond what you can ask, like surface level questions, really digging deep and making them feel. Um, and that's been so huge to me. And I think about that all the time. Everything that I've learned in these galvanized camps with Laura is that, yeah. you know, the stuff that you can Google, like, don't ask that. Someone's probably already asked that. Right. Really sit down and, and get to know that person, like get to know their who and their why versus their do. While their stats and everything is really important, it's like that person is also a human as well. So that's something that I've really tried to focus on as well. And and that comes when you're being conversational. Yeah. So let's dig deeper there. How do you do that? How do you, let's say you have a sit down schedule with Kendrick Bourne and you know, you want to get into a good conversation with them, but you have to establish that trust with them too. They have to know it's a, a safe space where they can have this conversation. How do you do that? How do you get somebody that you're trying to talk to, to break out of the routine? And, and I know it's tough for the Patriots. Trust me. I know that they have a lot of standards and then mm-hmm. make it, it can be tough, but like, how do you get somebody to, to start to trust you and be op- able to open up in that conversation? Kendrick is actually a really good um, example of, of how you can do your research beyond the surface level. So with him, I've actually been in other press conferences, like with other, with his, with his other teammates, and they'll talk about Kendrick. Okay. And so that's even things that I'll write down. And I'm like, I wonder if Kendrick even knows that they said this about him. Mm. And so I'll, when I get Kendrick in front of me, I'm like, hey, you know, your teammates describe you as a Labrador, like as a puppy who has so much energy, you <laughs> never have a bad day. Like you are such an energetic dog. And he was like, wow. He was like, that's definitely me. I'm a light bulb that never goes off. He was like, I am just so grateful for every single day. And therefore I feel like I always need, can be in a great mood. Like, why do I have a reason yeah. not to be in a great mood? I'm here today. I'm at practice. Like I'm on this team. I have another opportunity. Um, and it's different things like that, whether it's going through their Instagrams or even looking at their Instagram stories and seeing like, Hey, like they're always at home playing guitar. Like maybe ask them about that and why they get into guitar or maybe it's asking them about the um, community service that they're interested in. It's like, what is the story behind that? And a lot of times it's like, well, my sister had ovarian cancer or my best friend was really passionate about this growing up, but unfortunately they passed away. So I took it over. Um, I've actually had that happen before where it was like one of the athletes started his own clothing line. And I asked him like, what made you so passionate about clothing? And it turned out that his best friend was really passionate about it, wanted to start his clothing line. And that's why he ended up starting a clothing line. Um, And so it's taking that extra mile to listen to press conferences, read other articles where maybe their teammates are talking about them. And then also pay attention to their social media. There are small cues on there that you can potentially use to ask more questions beyond what you see on, on the usual stats, stat sheets and, and other things like their bio on the website. I love that. I love digging into the depth of the person and really trying to connect on that level because people like to share. And especially if you put mm-hmm. the work in and they show that you are, you're a storyteller, you want to get into a real meaty conversation with them rather than just talking about what their approach is on third down. Like that, that's stuff that people can really sink their teeth into and that opens people up. So I, I love that perspective. When you look back over... And I, Trust me, I know everybody will talk about every interview they've ever done they love. But do you look back and say, like, there's certain interviews that I've done with certain people that I just felt like I really connected with and really that was a shining example of what can happen when I'm on my game? Do you think of any of those moments? Yeah, I honestly think that going through the pandemic and then also just the social injustice that was has been happening over the past two years, yeah. um, those interviews that I've had, I feel like, 
from that point forward have been so much better. I feel like that's when we really started to see um, people care more about the human behind the athlete, which is sad that it took, you know, all these crazy things happening in our country for everyone to really peel back the layers and be like, okay, this is who's behind that Jersey. Um, And I think that once I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of athletes and coaches about these very real things that are happening outside of the court pool um, field. I think that's when a lot of my interviews got so much better, really making them feel. And honestly, that's probably because too, that's when I had my first galvanized camp with Laura Oakman, where she taught us like how to ask better questions. It's like, instead of asking this, this, and this, why don't you ask this instead? really go beyond the surface and the things that you can Google and the typical, like yeah. what keeps you motivated? You know, what keeps you up at night? You know, why, why are you so passionate about football? It's like going beyond that. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, they're all probably going to say the same answer. Like it's the game I love. I've been playing this since I was nine years old or, or something around there. So um, that gets old and boring after a while. Um, uh, uncovering something new is pretty exciting. It, it is. It is. And, and having the opportunity to tell someone else's story is amazing. Um, and, it's, and it's truly just a blessing to be a vessel for the story that maybe they've been wanting to tell forever, but they didn't trust anyone um, to have it told. That's an honor. Right. Right. When somebody opens up to you like that, that's a real honor. Yeah. So let's jump into some broader topics in the world of sports. You and I connected through the Creators of Color program with Hashtag Sports, which is, an or- as an organization, we at Work in Sports are one of the sponsors of the event. It's a super important event to highlight minority creatives in the sports industry. You were named to the inaugural cohort. What does that mean to you, to be recognized for your work in this manner? It was truly an amazing honor, honestly, um, just because I know there are so many talented Black creators in the industry. There are so many. Um, and to know that, you know, applying for this and it being the inaugural one, I know it was probably super, super, super competitive. It was just honestly shocking in a sense, and especially to see some of the people that were in the inaugural, like Kimmy Checks, for example, 25 years old, like the youngest um, host on the NFL network to be on there with someone like that. Um, And others, I mean, they're all so talented, but she's one that automatically comes to mind. It was just like, wow, like I'm in a class with these people. Like it says a lot. Um, Because a lot of times, you know, you don't need the applause of others and peers, but it's something that feels good. And so when you see something like this happen, it feels great, especially if you don't um, receive love very often in what you do. Yeah. It's, it was an amazing event and it's been amazing to see this cohort and get to know many of the members. We were there for media day and did a lot of interview setups and the, the openness, the vulnerability, the conversations we got to get into, I thought were really inspiring. And I'm glad that we've been able to continue this conversation. I've asked a lot of the different members if they felt like the sports industry was inclusive. And I know that's a really broad, wide angle lens question, but I do think it's important. And what was interesting to me is you got a mixed bag of responses. Some people were like, yeah, it's a lot better than when I first got in. And other people are like, no, it's terrible. You know, it's it's not a great existence for me. And I feel shunned in this environment or I feel alone in this environment. So we got into some really interesting conversations. I'd throw the same point back at you. You've mm-hmm. had experiences in a lot of different regions of the country. You've been in different environments from college sports to pro sports to small local stations. What's your take as you look at it, as you look at inclusivity in the sports industry and the way we embrace people of all cultures? What do you see? What do you feel? My honest answer is no. I I don't think it's inclusive, but it's more so um, probably a different response than you've heard so far. But I think it's more so with money. And I say that because, as we know, the sports industry pays 
terribly. Um, yeah, been so, there. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it pays terribly. And a lot of people of color don't have the support from mom or dad or, um, you know, maybe um, their grandparents or, or whoever. They don't have the support. And so sometimes they aren't able to, we aren't able to chase our dreams because we can't afford to. We can't afford to move across the country with no relocation and no help and then start a job that pays barely enough to pay the rent in that city. And so I think that that unfortunately causes a lot of people of color to stray away from this industry because they're like, I can't afford to go into debt to chase my dreams. Like I just can't. And I don't have the support to do that. Um, And so I think that for me, it's like, you know, I've been thankful that my parents have helped me some to get to this point um, because a lot of jobs have not paid for relocation. They've barely paid enough to like pay for rent. Um, and so I've ended up having to work like multiple jobs to make ends meet just to chase my dreams, knowing that like, you know, I'm hoping that one day this is going to all be worth it. And so I think that when you don't have that support, it's going to be hard to get in this industry when you don't have your mom or dad paying your rent or, you know, your grandparents have passed you down, you know, um, an inheritance that has helped you. Like it's different things like that, that I think it's difficult. And obviously the pay struggle for everyone, but I think it really hurts us when we don't have um, support depending on what part of, you know, the the country that we're coming from. Yeah. It's such a brilliant point. We've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with many people before too, about even the foundation of internships, how we started out this conversation. Those internships should be paid, period. Their mm-hmm. labor, their work. And when you pay somebody on an internship, that opens it up to anybody to contribute. And if you don't pay, there are a lot of people that just won't be able to do it. They may be paying their way through college. Yeah. They may have mm-hmm. other restrictions on, you know, other responsibilities that prevent them from being able to just work for free. But if you don't, yeah. you, then you don't get the experience and you don't get hired. It's a slippery slope. And so, I, I mean, I've yep. made this case many times that I think that every internship should be paid. It should be just a standard. And if it isn't, then that's a problem and we need to fix it. But I think you're right in that even those exactly. entry-level jobs, it can be extremely I, – I remember even for myself, I, my first job at CNN, I was getting paid under $20,000 a year trying to live in Atlanta. It wasn't happening. Yeah. I was going backwards Impossible. every month. I was going backwards every month. Yeah. Every, every paycheck was like gone yeah. within like three days. Um, and it's hard. Yeah. And I and I ran up a lot of debt. And I, it was a struggle to get through in a lot of ways. But um, it is a harder situation for others. I had some support. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I think that that is a major problem. When we talk about the spirit of diversity and inclusion and equity, it starts at those very early phases and in pay and in all of those instances and internships and whatever. Um, you're also very active in supporting women in sport in the sports industry, giving back to the next generation, which I love. When you were coming up in the industry, did you have mentors who helped guide you and instruct you? And what were some of those things you pulled from them? So that's actually the reason why I'm so passionate about it, because I didn't have any help. I knew nobody. I had no guidance. I was all alone. And so once I went to um, NABJ, National Association of Black Journalists, that's when I really started to make some really amazing friends. And I got mentors. And that's when I started to get guidance. And that's when I was like, okay, like just because I didn't have help my first three years in the industry um, doesn't mean that other people should go through the same. And so that is why I'm so passionate about, you know, advocating for women in sports and women working in sports because I didn't have that help. And it's like, I would love to um, lend a hand where I can to help those who are navigating in the same steps that I was once in. It's so important. I know. And it's so nice to hear you giving back. 
Okay, so now you play the role of mentor. If young woman reaches out to you today and says, I want to be in your shoes someday, what should I do? What should I do to get started? What should I do to grow and develop and, and mature in this industry? What kind of advice would you share back with them? My biggest piece of advice is that while it's okay to ask someone like me how I got to where I was, take that with a grain of salt, knowing that there is not one way to get to this point. Because I don't, what I don't want to tell people is thinking that my way is the only way. My way is the only blueprint, because that's not true. You can go the local TV route. You can go working at a college route. You can go starting your own business route, um, like Christina with Girls Talk TV. Um, you know, she went that route. Like, there are multiple ways where you can get to this same goal of being a sports reporter or a TV host in sports, like, don't try to emulate someone else's journey because there are multiple ways to get here. And just because yours looks different doesn't mean it's wrong. I think that's my biggest piece of advice. I think if you look at my resume, you're like, what was she doing? Like she went from this to this, to this, to this. Like it doesn't make sense, but I'm still, I made it here. I think it's brilliant. I think your resume is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was kind of like, okay, I can't see where she's interested, what she's interested in because she's all over the place. But, and you have some people who started in local TV right after school, and then they just worked their way up, and now they're ESPN. That's the way to do it, too. And then you have some people, like, for example, Malika Andrews. She started off as a writer. She was a writer her whole life, and now she's on camera. So I think there are just multiple ways to get here, and I just don't want anyone to get discouraged if their path takes longer or it looks very different. It's such great advice. It's such a wonderful journey that you've been on. And it's it's great to hear your story and how you've put the work in to get to this point. And I love your perspective on all the things that are happening in the industry right now, as far as DE&I and all the other uh, issues that are so important in our world. And I'm glad that these things, have, I mean, I had an interview a couple of weeks ago with Chris Brown, who's the uh, Associate Athletic Director for DE&I at the University of Delaware. And we were talking about how, because he and I are about the same age, he was like, yeah, this didn't even exist. We didn't even talk about this five, seven years ago. The yeah. fact that we're talking about it and having these conversations and trying to dig deeper into solving some of these root problems, there is tons of work to be done. There's a long way to go. I'm not saying that we're getting anywhere yet, but we're having the conversations. We're getting to discuss it. We're getting to try to make change out there, mm -hmm. which I think is such a positive. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing a bit more of your story. I know this advice will help out so many people in our audience. So just thank you so much for being a part of this. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. I'm definitely happy to share any advice that I can that will help anyone have an easier journey than what I did. <laughs> I think, I, seriously, you sell yourself so short. Your journey is awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking through your resume and I'm so impressed of every step that you've taken and these accomplishments you've had and the awards that you've won for ACC Network, Digital Network. I mean, it's so impressive. So you should be really proud of getting to this phase where you are are a team reporter for the best team in the NFL. I mean, I might be a little bit biased, but for the best team in the NFL, only six years out of college. That's really impressive. You should be proud of yourself. So congratulations on everything. And thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Well, that was a pretty good way to kick off our best of 2022 series. We were sitting together as a team, Chad, Tuaro, and Kevin Zwicker and myself going through some of our favorite episodes and kind of storyboarding how we might lay these out for the next month. And this is a lot of fun. This is a chance for all of us to go back and say, I really like this one, or I really like that one. Or when we talked about this, this was a really important point, which is fun to go back and reminisce of. And I think we were pretty unified that Tamara would be a great one because I do think as a young and on-air talent, she paints a really good blueprint of what it takes to succeed in the side of the business. You got to love it. 
You got to really want it for more reasons than just I want to be seen on camera. I want to be known. Like you have to really have that desire to be a storyteller, to create unique things, to put yourself out there. And if that sort of stuff really drives you, the opportunity is there. Just got to embrace that hustle like Tamara did. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will have another great Best of 2022 episode next week, and we'll still do our Monday episodes providing your answers to your fan questions. So please continue to tune in and share this podcast with somebody else. We want to continue to grow in 2024, 2023. What year are we coming up on? We want to continue to grow in 2023, and we need your help. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you on Monday. <laughs>